Again, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Prentice, and I get the privilege to be the lead pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. Uh, if you are watching online, if you are enjoying the sun right now, and uh, we'll be tuning in later sometime this week or today, uh, regardless, I'm so glad that you joined us uh, as we continue our series on uh, what we call the invitation to wholeness. Uh, and it's this conversation we're having in, in all six Bethany locations about what it means and what it looks like to pursue, well, wholeness, how to be whole, how to experience this peace that we describe, that the Bible describes as shalom. And it's not just this peace that is absent of conflict, because we know that when we are experiencing a peace that the Bible speaks about, this peace of uh, shalom, that the outside world doesn't impact what we feel and experience on the inside, the harmony from the inside and out, head to toe, that is the shalom that we are uh, being invited into through Christ. And so we, we looked at different ways that we enter into that wholeness. It's to, it's to know that we're loved by God. It's, it's to know that with that love, that unconditional love of Christ, that we give that love away to others. And, and this morning, we'll be talking about what it means uh, in light of that to be formed, to, to, to be shaped as we live in our lives. How do we go about this idea of formation? In the church, if you've been around the church for a long time, uh, it's this idea that we call spiritual formation, uh, and it is part of our wholeness. And so uh, that's where we'll go today. But before we go there, I want to read the text this morning, and we'll pray, and we'll get started. Today's word comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Uh, this is Paul writing to the church of Rome, and he says this, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me just read verse 2 again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you have called us here to hear, to learn, to grow, to enter into this idea of formation, to be formed by you and by nothing else. And that as we are formed by you, the world will know that we, again, Live by your love, by your grace, by your mercy, and may we give that away freely as you've given to us. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, so a few years ago, uh, I was listening to a, a lecture by one of my favorite authors. His name is uh, Dallas Willard, who had passed away uh, a few years ago. He was a philosophy, pro philosophy professor uh, at USC. Uh, and being a private institution, uh, he was telling a story where he was teaching a class. And, and every morning, he would tell the class, hey, God loves you. It, it was just this simple reminder. God loves you. 
then he would pursue the, cl- the rest of the class. And, and finally, after you know, several months of this class, one of his students went up to him and asked uh, Professor uh, Dallas Willard, uh, why do you keep saying that God loves us every morning? Like, we got that. That's easy. Uh, and it's so elementary, it's simple. We are at USC. You are Dallas Willard, the author of so many different books. And uh, we, we would think and hope that we would hear something more profound than this simple God loves you. And so, Dr. Willard, why do you keep saying God loves us every single day? We know that. And so his simple response was, because on your drive over here, you heard a hundred different messages. Just on your drive to class, you've already heard about a hundred different messages. And so I want to remind you that God loves you. Because many of the messages that, that you've heard can oftentimes even be antithetical to the love of, to the message that God loves you and that you are enough, that God created you fearfully and wonderfully and you are beautifully made. God loves you unconditionally, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you look like. And the reality is the hundreds of messages that the students would see and experience before they get to class needed a rebuttal and Dallas Willard said, the rebuttal is this, God loves you. And again, I know that this word, spiritual formation, which it really is exactly what Dallas Willard was talking about, uh, it's kind of a churchy word, but it just implies this, that we, as humans, all of us, you and me, we are being formed Spiritual formations, formations, you and I, we are being formed by something or somebody one way or another, whether we know it or not. We are being formed, we're being shaped, we're being influenced by something every single day. Author James K.A. Smith, uh, theologian professor of New Testament and ethics, says this, in one of his books, we all, whether naturalists, atheists, Buddhists, or Christians, see the world through the grid of an interpretive framework. And ultimately, this interpretive framework is religious in nature, even if not allied with a particular institutional religion. In other words, what he's saying is whether we are religious or not, uh, we all believe in something. And what we believe in, whatever that something is, is exactly what forms us in our lives. Sometimes good, and sometimes bad, and sometimes something in between. And I don't think anybody here would be surprised by this idea that we're constantly being formed, especially in a time of, uh, of information, of technology, of um, headlines, of the news, of all this polarization, of politics, uh, of what we'd call clickbait, and and all these things, it's no surprise that uh, we are being formed, whether we know it or not. And oftentimes we know it, and we can see the attempts in it as well. And if 20 years ago, people driving into class saw 100 or 200 messages a day, again, 20 years ago, then how much more are we seeing 
today. In one study on advertisements, Forbes magazine says this, says that we are seeing over 10,000 different ads a day. 10,000 ads a day. Furthermore, uh, Forbes says this, Google launched uh, AdWords, which is uh, this av- basically their way of uh, paid advertisement, uh, in 2000. And by the year 2007, its revenue, people pursuing Google ads to advertise whatever they want to advertise, uh, the revenue of, uh, of Google AdWords was 16.41 billion US dollars. That was in 2007. In 2020, that number went up to 146.92 billion dollars. That's almost 10 times between 2007 and the year 2020. Again, businesses are desperately trying to form you. We see this all over the place by convincing you of what you need, the change you need, the new you need. And oftentimes, whatever that newness is or whatever that thing that you need or somebody that you need is attached to a promise of bliss that at the end of the day will fail us. And we've all experienced this in our lives. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we just read, Paul is speaking to the Roman Christians here. And they're living in a time where these Christians, these new Christians, are being fed with different mixed messages in their culture, in their world. Different messages, again, of their cultures, of different religions, of different worldviews. It's all colliding with one another. And many of them, uh, because of those mixed messages, are abandoning their belief in Jesus. And and so in that context, in that backdrop, uh, Paul is writing to the Church of Rome and, and he's saying, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Do not conform to just every little thing that you see that is vying for your attention, that is vying to change you, that is vying for you to come join their their side, that is oftentimes antithetical to to Jesus. Do not conform to those patterns. And and the word conform here in the Greek is is the word suskematizo. And it's, it sounds foreign, because it is. It's an ancient Greek. But basically, it's, the word, it's where we get the word schematics. Do not use the, the, the world, the patterns of the world, as your schematic. Do not conform to it. Do not use it as your schematic. And basically, the definition in the Greek is it means to have an outward shape. And it means you are essentially becoming like something on the outside by conforming to that schematic, by whatever that blueprint plan is. What you're saying is, I'm going to change my behavior on the outside, abandoning what I believe and what I know, especially about God in this time, and I'm going to follow this schematic of what it means to experience this bliss in life. And again, we've experienced it just as much as the people in the first century, that oftentimes, and really every time, a devoid of God, it will lead 
into exhaustion and failure and pain and hurt. This is, this was their culture. This is our culture today. You see, they made changes on their outer, believing that it will make a difference in their inner. They made a change based off the schematic of the patterns of this world and saying, as long as I do that, when I fall for those gimmicks or those temptations to be like this religious sex, this, you know, this heresy that they believed in, especially in the first century, this cultic God, this worldview, this whatever it is, when they fell into this schematic, this patterns of this world, they were disappointed. And the message is clear for us today. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. In other words, be careful in the things that will be shaping you. There's so many things, whether it's advertisement, whether it's social media, whether it's the paper or whatever it is, there are things that are, are vying for our attention and our allegiance and our loyalty. And the word that Paul is saying, do not use those things as a schematic in order to experience wholeness. Shalom, harmony in life, because you will be disappointed. And there's so many things confronting us right now, wanting to form us, wanting to be our schematic. And there's so many, but I want to name just a few this morning for us to be aware of. Number one is this, materialism. Whether you see it on TV, on ads, on social media, it's this belief that as long as I have this, whatever that fill-in-the-blank is, a new house, a new car, a new clothes, new shoes, no, whatever, then I will be fulfilled. So I have the latest technology, the latest phone, the latest whatever it is, then I will be fulfilled. And we know that that ends up disappointing us because there's always going to be something newer. There's always going to be something better. There's always going to be something more improved. And so as long as we're pursuing whatever that material possession is, we're going to constantly be fighting and pushing and running towards the new, the better, the the new and improved, and we're just going to be exhausted. And I will say this is a a place that I fall into myself. Just a a couple weeks ago, um, I went to New York with some friends, and it was kind of, it was a guy's trip, and it was super fun. We ate our way through the city of Manhattan and Brooklyn and, and wherever, and, and I couldn't help but notice that everyone, especially in Manhattan, they were really put together, and, and the, you know, I, I felt like there was like this New York, especially for the guys, this uniform, and the uniform was nice pants, a shirt, uh, and a peacoat. And, and I don't know what it is about that look, but it just felt like, okay, man, they, they're put together, they wear nice clothes, they're probably, re- you know, they seem really cool. And, and as soon as I got home, I told my wife, Maria, and I said, you know what, I just got back from, from, from New York, I come back as a new man. Uh, I am going to be a peacoat guy. I am going, and I, okay, well, first of all, I haven't bought a peacoat yet because those are really expensive, all right? But 
The, the reality is when I came back, I was like, I had this image where it's like, okay, in order for me to have made it, in order for me to be cool and trendy and, and like a New Yorker in Manhattan working in finance or whatever, in investments or whatever it is, I have to have a peacoat. And once I wear a peacoat, then I will have made it. Obviously, that is so untrue. It'll require a lot more than a peacoat for me to have made it. So one of the things of many that forms us, or at least that tries to form us, is this lie of materialism, that as long as you have fill in the blank, then your life will be better. Number two, and this is something we've seen especially in the last couple of years, is this idea of tribalism, particularly around politics. What we've seen ourselves do and caught ourselves doing is that we praise ourselves for the set of beliefs that we have, a set of political affiliations we have, and we see ourselves as the hero and demonize those with other beliefs, especially around politics or whatever tribalism that you fall into or categorize yourself into. Now, again, I'm not saying that politics is unimportant because it is important because it affects people, and so therefore it is important. But oftentimes we allow the politics to shape us in who we are, especially from the papers and headlines and, and all these different things. We allow politics, especially as followers of Jesus, we allow the politics to shape our faith instead of allowing our faith to shape our politics. Again, I don't think politics is unimportant that we should just abandon it, because again, as, uh, as Pastor Eugene Cho says, he, he says that politics affects people. And so therefore we should care about the people and the policies around it. But again, our conviction towards that end should be guided in the spirit of God and how God is calling us to be. But we have been formed, or what is vying to form us has been, again, tribalism, political affiliations. Uh, we've seen this even not only in politics, uh, but even in this pandemic. You know, we have masks, no masks, vaccines, no vaccines. And, and the list can just go on and on with different things that we've seen that polarizes us, especially in the last couple of years. Do not be conformed. Do not use that, what Paul is saying, as a schematic for your identity, for who you are. Materialism, tribalism. Number three, what is trying to form us is pleasure. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying stop doing anything that feels good. I'm not saying that. I'm not, definitely not saying stop doing anything that feels good. But to only believe that you should be doing things that feel good can be destructive as well. It can lead to addiction. It can lead to hurting others for the sake of your own pleasure. Again, I'm not saying knock off anything that feels good, but what I'm saying is do not use that as the only litmus test as if something that you should continue doing. We live in this world that says that as long as it feels good, you should do it. And as long as that you get pleasure out of it, then you should do it. And we've seen that become so painfully damaging, not only to ourselves, but our relationship with God and relationship with others. Number four, obviously, we've seen this, the thing that vies for our formation, 
that wants to influence us, and we've seen this with even these self-categorized people as influencers, is none other than social media. We scroll through mindlessly, and I do this myself, and we end up playing the comparison game, saying, oh, I need to look different. I need to be like them. I need more. I want more. What I have is not enough. Look at this happy couple. Look at this happy person you know, in bliss and harmony and all these things. Why am I not like that? Oh, this influencer has this item, this clothes. I need that too. And this leads to more pain and hurt because of our without, the things that we have without. I need to look like this. I want to be famous even. We live in a culture where we vie to, uh, to believe that having fame and having status, uh, having influence is something that will give you Again, bliss and shalom and peace and harmony. And that, again, we've seen all throughout, even just with the data around mental health, we've seen that that is just untrue. And what's interesting is this, and and if you've ever seen the documentary uh, Social Distortion, uh, this, this talks about this. The University of Texas has this research on social media, and they have this particular research around the like button. Right? So if you're on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, there's a, there's a like button. And, and this is what the research shows, that getting likes on whatever your post is releases dopamine in both youths and adults, providing them a rewarding sensation whenever their posts are received well. The impact on the younger people, however, was found to, have, to be much greater. For young teens and adults, the impact of the like button can have tremendous personal impact. A number of studies have shown that when young people receive less engagement on their posts, their mental health takes a blow and they become more emotionally distressed. Now, because of the dopamine that it says that it releases, and maybe, maybe you wouldn't say this out loud, but you post something and you think it's pretty cool or a picture or a quote or whatever it is, and you look at your phone or online or whatever it is, and it has 100 likes or this or that or shares or whatever it is, let's be honest with ourselves. We feel really good about that. I know I do. And the reason why we feel good about that is because there's this release of dopamine, And what we're falling into is this schematic of saying that when you are affirmed by others, when you are liked, when you have influence, when you have, you know, status or positive affirmation, then you've made it and you will experience wholeness and shalom. And again, that is just untrue. These are just the things that are vying for our formation. And lastly, I'll say this, and I saved this one for last because I was kind of hesitant to even speak of this, but I think that I have to because I believe this to the core of who I am. Especially in America, not only social media, not only materialism, not only all these things that are vying for our formation, but one of the key things that is vying for our formation is white supremacy. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about people, okay? I think that the reality is when I, when I use the word whiteness or white supremacy, either A, people get offended because there's this misunderstanding that white supremacy is about a people group with white skin. That is just not the case. And so it, there's two groups, either a group that gets really offended or a group that's really dismissive 
Because again, the idea that white supremacy is about people that wear hoods or shave their heads and, and have this, this utter and visceral hatred towards others, both of those do not define what, what especially in a more uh, critical way of talking about white supremacy, it's not that. It's not a people group. It's not a hate group. It's not really a people group at all. It's an ideology. I'm speaking of white supremacy not as a group of people, so please don't misquote me somewhere on this. I'm talking about an ideology. And maybe this, is, this will be helpful. Robin D'Angelo, who is a white author of various books on race, she says this. She says, white supremacy captures the all-encompassing centrality and assumed superiority of people defined and perceived as white and the practices based upon that assumption. White supremacy is not simply the idea that whites are superior to people of color, although it certainly is that, but a deeper premise, and this is what I want us to understand, is that it supports this idea, again, ideology, the definition of whites as the norm or standard for human and the people of color as an inherent deviation from that norm. What she's saying is that it's this ideology that, that white culture, or really it's been kind of intertwined with American culture, is that that is the norm, that is the right way, and anything outside of that is bad or not good or not good enough. Again, we could all perpetuate white supremacy. I can perpetuate. People of color can perpetuate it. It's not about a skin color of people. It's about this technology that I call it. It's about this ideology that is used to create a hierarchy of what's good and what's less good. One of my favorite books is called Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And I love this, and I'm going to read this line twice so we can understand, so we can grasp this. He says this, but race is the child of racism, not the father. Race is the child of racism, not the father. Racism came first, then race. And he further says this in his quote, in the process of naming the people, the people, so race or races, the naming, the process of naming people has never been a matter of genealogy and physical features so much as one of hierarchy. Difference in complexion and hair is old, but the belief in the superiority of complexion and hair, the notion that these factors can correctly organize a society and that they signify deeper attributes, attributes which are indelible, this is a new idea at the heart of these new people. The difference in skin color and hair, that's, that's been around. That's the way God created. That's, that's all good. White supremacy is not about that. White supremacy is about taking what is good and transforming it into this hierarchy. Well, this is good. This is not good based off of culture and norms, based off the majority of what they do. Maybe this will help. I'll give you a personal example. I remember vividly when I was a, maybe, you know, in early elementary, my mom was packing me a lunch 
Uh, and she, when my mom cooked, she goes all out. And she was packing me a lunch to take to school, and it was like, you know, this tray with different sections to put something in. And of course, my mom, being a recent immigrant at the time, um, straight from Korea, she would put in Korean food. So one section had rice, another section had like a Korean barbecue, a beef kind, and some side dishes that included like fish, which I love. Uh, and then this like very Korean dish called kimchi puts it in there because we love it. That's what we eat. She packs it up. She spent so much time on it and, and is so proud of me to take it. And I take it to lunch and we're all opening our lunch and all my friends have sandwiches, you know, and potato chips and, and all these things and the Capri Suns, which I love, still love, by the way. Uh, and then I break out my lunch and I'm like, oh, this is gonna, oh watch this. This is going to be good. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to be so jealous. I take off the lid, and it smells so good to me. doesn't smell so great to others. It smells a bit different. It's, and I'll be honest, the, the kimchi and the fish, it can, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a taste that you have to get used to. It's a smell that you have to get used to. And I remember that just the repulseness in people's faces. It's like, what is that? And the look of disgust and this like, you know, like, oh my gosh, that stinks. And, and I didn't know that it smelled bad. I didn't know that it was awful. To me, it was delicious. But what it was, it, it wasn't normal. It wasn't what the other kids had for their lunches. It was so different. And it was so different. It was considered stinky and gross and awful and weird and foreign and so as soon as I go home, I said, Mom, I cannot take this to school anymore. The kids are making fun of me. I need to replace this lunch. And she said, with what? And I said, I, I think they call it bologna. It's bologna sandwich. And my mom had no idea what it was. And so literally we went to the store and we couldn't find it because it was spelled weird. And, and, and so, and then later there was this commercial, B-O-L-O-G-N-A, maybe I'm dating myself, but there's this commercial now, now it makes sense. But we finally asked somebody, we found it, and I felt so good, and she was like, what is this? And I'm like, I have no idea, I still don't know what bologna is. All I know is that's what the kids were eating, and so I packed my bologna sandwich and my potato chips and my Capri Sun, and they stopped making fun of me. And I said, okay, now I fit in, now I'm in the norm. Because there's a set of standards that the majority have created, and anything outside of that is weird or unacceptable. Now, I look back as an adult, and kimchi is like kind of cool now. And I, my, my mom freaked out because I paid 10 bucks for a little jar from PCC. And she's like, what are you doing? Now it's considered delicious. Now it's considered healthy. Now it's considered trendy. And so now, I bet if I brought it to lunch, people are like, Wow. You're so healthy. Wow, that's so cool. Like, dude, I've been eating this all my life. And now the majority says, on the level of hierarchy, that is acceptable. Now, again, we've seen this. And due to this white supremacy, again, the ideology, not people, where we get slavery, where we've got segregation, where we've got 
Jim Crow laws, where we've had Japanese internment camps, redlining that, that existed all the way from the 70s. That's still really in the paperwork of our documents today. The Chinese Exclusion Act, immigration, mass incarceration, power structures and systems. We see this because of this ideology that there's a hierarchy. And Paul says, Again, when there's all these things that we can be tempted to be conformed into, the schematic, what is that schematic that you're using? Maybe it is falling into the schematic of white supremacy. Maybe it is the schematic of materialism. As long as I have this, I'm good. Maybe it's the schematic of fame and popularity and getting likes on social media and having so many followers. Maybe that's the schematic that you are following. Maybe it's this uh, schematic of fill in the blank of, of pleasure. As long as I feel good, I'll use that as the template of what's going to give me joy and fulfillment. Maybe it's social, whatever it is, the question is, what is your schematic that you're using to conform yourself to? And whatever that is, Paul is saying, it's time to reverse it, to reverse that thought. The second part of Romans chapter 2, or 12 verse 2, it says, do not conform or use a schematic to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, if the word conform means schematic, the word transform is this Greek word metamorphosu. That might sound familiar to you. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. And it's a change from the inside and out. So, so if Paul is saying, do not conform, so do not just change the outer by accepting all these different views or whatever it is that will bring you joy, because that's only going to lead to disappointment. Paul is saying, forget about just the outside to conform with the schematics. Paul is saying, instead of conforming, I want you to transform, which happens from the inside out, not the outside in, by the renewing of your mind. Instead of conforming to the next flashy things, be changed from the inside out, inside and out. And he says over and over again, as followers of Jesus, the only way to do this is not just keep grasping and reaching and running towards, but it's actually to surrender. It's the very opposite. It's to surrender and allow the Holy Spirit to work within us. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, another way of describing being formed by something or somebody is our act of worship. Whether you call yourself religious or not, we all worship something. We worship fame, we worship money, we worship possessions, we worship power and structures, whatever it is, you can call it whatever you want, but it's called worship. And what Paul is saying is, is the right worship is this, not conforming, but being transformed by the Spirit of God. By offering, by surrendering everything we're chasing after and just receiving from Christ. That is our only job. 
And yet we're oftentimes lied to over and over again saying we need more, we need different. In John Mark Comer's book called Live No Lies, which our small group is reading together, there's a quote that says this. He says, Jesus sees our primary war against the devil as a fight to believe truth over lies. I do believe this is beyond what we see with the naked eye. We see, as John Mark Homer says, and I believe that there's a battle going on, that the, that the, that the devil, the evil one, the liar, the, the adversary, the accuser, whichever way you want to describe this evil force, is, is trying to create confusion and chaos and lies into our hearts, even in the most subtle ways, to conform to the patterns of the world. And Jesus is saying we must defeat those lies, and that defeat was done on the cross of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross on our behalf, he put on the cross the lies that we tell ourselves. Because the truth is, you are the Imago Dei. You are created in the image of God. May you believe that and that alone. I know we're running out of time, but I want to quickly just say this. This is what that requires. It requires a reforming of our habits. A reforming of our habits. I don't know about you, but we all have habits. When you wake up, you, you brush your teeth, you take a shower, or you eat breakfast, whatever. We all have habits. And maybe part of our habits is to go on social media. Maybe it is to read the news. Maybe it is to be conformed by something. But what if we created new habits that, yes, as uh, new, as novel, it might feel like work, it might require intentionality, but what if we make these practices or find new practices to draw closer to God, to surrender every day of our lives so that we may be transformed from the inside out every single day of our lives. I love the language of the New Testament where Paul talks about this imagery of putting on the armor of Christ or, or comparing our faith to a race where we have to continue training and running and not looking back. That is our faith in Christ. That is to be what it means to be formed, transformed by the Spirit of God through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's to form our lives around the cross of Christ and to create new habits in our lives. And we call those spiritual disciplines. Maybe it's more prayer. Maybe it's more reading scriptures. Whatever you want to commit to that draws yourself to Christ. Maybe it's experiencing the environment, the nature. Maybe it's being in godly community. Maybe it's having a mentor, having a spiritual leader, whatever it is. What does it look like for us to continually be transformed? And I think what that will require is a new muscle to be worked in our lives. And I don't know what that might be for you, but I know that in this time in age, we need that so much. So as I invite the worship team back up, in a time of reflection, I would love for us to consider the question, what are the schematics of this world? What are the patterns of this world that I'm falling into? 
What am I reaching for? What am I being conformed into? And the next question of that is, what would it look like for me to release that in order for me to be transformed by the Spirit of God, by leaning into the cross of Jesus? And I think that might require developing some new habits in our lives, more intimacy with Christ. And I say this time after time. We, we say that we have this relationship with God, but we do nothing to cultivate it. I fall guilty of this. And let me ask you, in what relationship, in what authentic, genuine, loving relationship in your life could you ever get away with that? You probably couldn't. The person would probably create boundaries. Or probably, the person would probably create accuse you of being a bad friend, bad spouse, bad, bad roommate, whatever it is, in what relationship in our lives could we ever get away with just not cultivating, not spending time, just completely neglecting that relationship? Probably none. And yet we do this in our relationship with God. May we be a people of, of God who pursues relationship forming new habits, new disciplines to create and cultivate intimacy so that way we can continually to be transformed by the Spirit of God but not be conformed to the patterns of this world. May be so. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, your unconditional love. May you continue to reveal into us the very ways that we are conforming to the patterns of this world. And may we change of that. May we be transformed from the inside and out. May we just let go of so much of the work that exhausts us from trying to make it, from trying to achieve, and just receive your spirit and receive wholeness and shalom. May we draw intimacy with you through our practices, new habits. May we not neglect our relationships, but pursue you as much as we would, if not more, than any other relationship in our lives. We thank you in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in worship as we close our service.